okay, I think you should do the story this time. Because after listening to that last episode, my story did suck. <laughs> Especially when you had to ask me if there was a point to it. <laughs> Which in and of itself was kind of funny, but yeah. I, I think your stories are a little better. God that? damn it. <laughs> what was that, Chris? <laughs> that, was, that was a text from Mark Franklin that says, turn off your phone. <laughs> Odd. And the best part about this is, I remember to turn off my phone so I can do that to you. <laughs> Be in the right. <laughs> so really what you're saying is that my bad habit is what's saving this podcast from both of us not doing yeah, it. Pretty uh-huh. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much, pretty much. So, uh, how you doing tonight, Chris? I'm doing okay. I'm doing good. So, uh, we're on a call in Oklahoma. Okay. Oh, Oklahoma. Where the winds go sweeping down the plains. <laughs> so, <laughs> for the longest time, only way, I could sp- only way I could spell Oklahoma was to sing it in the song. Yeah, well, and, and then fun fact. So, Mark was a paramedic in Oklahoma mm-hmm. and tends to tell stories from when he was a paramedic in, in Oklahoma. And when I tell the stories, I differentiate that they were in Oklahoma for a specific reason. And I kind of found this reason out when I tried to call him out in an EMT basic class that he mm-hmm. was teaching. And so he was telling a story. He was back in Oklahoma. Me and a partner tells a story. And so I realized this was like me and him a month ago. It was mm-hmm. not back in Oklahoma. And so I'm like, that was you and me a month ago. <laughs> and it turns out the reason he does it is because, and this is true, in EMS, every time you tell a story, who if you're telling it to another EMS person, they're just going to be like, oh, who'd you run it with? Right. They want to know. Station. Yeah. Where was it? Well, if you say it's in Oklahoma, it kind of kills that question. Mm-hmm. And also, I'd like to know that there is a a phone that our supervisor staff uses, in which case Mark's <laughs> contact is Mark, the guy from Oklahoma, Frankum. So if you ever voice Siri and you say, call Mark Frankum, it goes, did you mean Mark, the guy from Oklahoma, Frankum? <laughs> and you're like, yes. And it goes, calling Mark, the, the guy, guy from, from Oklahoma, Oklahoma Frankum. <laughs> No, this call was legit in Oklahoma. Uh, guy had been run over by a train. Homeless I gentleman. you were going to say reindeer. No. No. Um, that would be grandma, yeah. not a guy. His grandma was, so, yeah. Yeah, grandma, totally. Anyway, so this guy got run over by a train, amputated both of his legs. Oh, Just dang. above the knees. So first crew got there. It was middle of the night. He'd fallen asleep on the tracks. Uh, middle of the night, so the crew gets there. They look around really quick. Can't find the legs, put them in the gir- put them in the truck, go. Yeah. I mean, life over limb, right? Right. Uh, second, They thought they had a second patient. So second crew's there. They're looking for the second patient. They determine no patient, but they find the legs. So, yeah, they find the legs. So they grab them. Hasn't been that long. And they take them down to the hospital so they can, you know, so the surgeons could maybe reattach them. You never know. Could happen. Right. <laughs> so one of the medics, the surgeons looked at them and were like, no. <laughs> really? <laughs> now, you got to remember, this is like the mid to late 90s. This was a much different time. Not much different, but the technology was not where it is now. So, uh, so the medics are looking at it, and you can see uh, the kneecap. Ooh. Right? And all the musculature and stuff like that. So, there's one medic. He's standing there, and he runs his finger and kind of touches the underside of the kneecap and gets all weirded out because it's rough. It's not smooth. It feels like a cow's tongue. Oh, wow. He's, but you're like, they're touching stuff. And, you know, Jesus. he's like, oh, oh, God. <laughs> I like how that, I like how that was the action that weirded him out. Right. I mean. And th- not that, the poking his finger around some guy's other legs. Well, and that's, 
I guess that's the mentality of paramedics mm-hmm. in, in the sense that not, not that we're like grotesque people or anything like that. We can be, right. but, um, it doesn't to be in this job long term. You have to be kind of interested in the macabre. And do you know how many people would probably like faint, vomit or run away at the sight of right. just dismembered legs? Yeah. Oh yeah. So safe to say that guy probably had some broken bones. Yeah. <laughs> and that is my perfect segue to today's episode. <laughs> hey, this is medical stuff. My name is Mark, thick of skull, strong of back, Frankum. And that is Chris. Man, I bet my growth plate killed me when I was growing up Fingston. <laughs> Do you have a lot of pain growing? Growing pains? Uh, actually, not not so much, but when I was a wee lad, like... Oh. Knee-high to a grasshopper? You know, I've always been tall, so probably a little bit taller than grasshopper. Uh, knee-high to a praying mantis. Got it. Okay. Right um, so, because I'm sure that helped a lot of listeners. Um, but anyway, yeah, I had my... Um, my hips were curved a little bit in, so I walked pigeon-toed. Mm-hmm. And back in those days, the treatment was thought to be is basically put Break on... Break the pelvis. What? Break the pelvis. No, actually, it, it was presumed... No, I was <laughs> oh, gotcha. Uh, it was presumed it was a problem with your with your, with your your lower extremities. And so mm-hmm. they actually put cast on to kind of bend your legs back the other way. That sounds fun. Well, I mean, I don't remember much if I was like one or two years old. Mm-hmm. But apparently I was... My dad says you were lethal with those things. Imagine a toddler with clubs for feet. And yeah, and he said, uh, so my dad being my dad, he didn't take us grocery shopping very often. Uh, just cause the way he worked is usually my mom did, but he had to take us grocery shopping once and we went in there and my brother and I'm in my cast in the cart and my brother is just being, he's being a little shit. He's being a brother. Yeah. He's, uh, he's running around, he's pulling stuff off shelves. He's just being bombastic. Because he's not there with mom who he knows will beat his ass. Yeah. Well, so my dad. <laughs> Totally joking, but again, don't your audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in the checkout counter. My brother's like pulling stuff around. And my dad turns to him and says, knock it off or I'll break your legs too. <laughs> <laughs> and this lady would like in front of him turned around just like this, you monster <laughs> look. Now in that time, people didn't call the police when they heard things like right. that. It's Today that would be a, yeah, that'd be a visit oh, from. Oh God. Well, uh, he would tell people, people like, oh, what happened to him? My mom would start to tell a story. And my dad would be like, we backed over him with the car. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I also uh, told one of our, one of our listeners told me that, hey, we keep referencing this episode with my dad, and they've listened to everything, and none of our episodes have him on it. I think, because it was... Did we re-record Instant Command, and his dad, your dad wasn't here the second time? Well, it was the first time. The first time we did Instant Command was without him, and then we did it again with him, and the one we have posted. posted The (laughs) the one we have posted is one. So I think we should look for that. See if we still have it's that on recording. Your yeah. Well, it's either on this one or the other one, but right. we, we should look for that and find it because it is a good episode. It'll be on your laptop. Because yes. Because we weren't using your desktop by then. Maybe it's the old laptop that I don't have anymore. I'll take a look on Box. Regardless, we'll try and find it for you guys. Right. It is fun. Mm-hmm. We need to have your dad back, by the way. We do. We, we do. I think he would do. love to be back. Yeah. So but we're talking about bones today. Oh, yeah, we're doing a show, aren't we? Yeah, yeah no, that's why we're... <laughs> yeah, we're talking about bones. Yeah, Chris and I, when we hang out to chat, we put on the headphones and set up the mics and uh, just BS. Well, it's, it's actually <laughs> fun because our, our faces are maybe six and a half feet away from each other, nose to nose, and we're talking through microphones so we can hear ourselves in mm-hmm. our headphones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so here's the thing. Bones are bones. They're the hard things. 
All you, ever, you ever heard the term verbal masturbation? Proceed. <laughs> bones are bones. It says nothing. It's just self-gratifying. Right. No. Oh, okay. Yes. Have I heard that specific oh, term? Oh, no. I tell you, I, I found, remember when I said I found a living example of the Dunning-Kruger effect on a call? Yes. Actually, we talked about this in an episode. Yeah, we did. So recently I found a living example of the word irony. Oh, wow. Um, I was at a subway. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Super nice guy. Were you eating fresh? Not yet, because I was still ordering. Okay, gotcha. Uh, super nice guy. Yeah. I will say this. The guy was super good. He is possibly the slowest Subway sandwich artist I've ever met in my life. <laughs> right? But we had a really good conversation. Yeah. Right? So it really was, other than the fact in EMS, we're not on break. Yeah. <laughs> I get a call any minute. So, but what was the, why it's the living definition for me of irony is because as this very nice guy is making the slowest Subway sandwich on the face of the planet. The music playing overhead is Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> this is your moment, All man. Right. Make that sandwich. I, was just, I stopped there. I'm like, huh. <laughs> it's a little ironic. <laughs> a little too ironic. <laughs> Don't start with me. It's like, right, we're going no, on. bones uh, are bones, verbal masturbation. Back to the, back to the show. <laughs> All right. Uh, so all your bones together <laughs> uh, form your skeletal system. They are, the hard, they are the hard things all throughout your body. Wow, you did some masterful research on this one, Chris. <laughs> I did. This is all I got. <laughs> uh, so we're, you're going to do, uh, do a little bit. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, they are. <laughs> so Jesus Chris Christ. was having a bad day when he did his research because every header for every section starts with what the fuck. Yeah, so I don't remember what is what the fuck do bones do? <laughs> what the fuck are bones compromised of? Yeah. Uh, so what do bones do? Obviously, we, we, everyone listening to this, you should know what a bone is. If you don't, this is too advanced for you. And that's sad because this is not an advanced podcast. <laughs> um, but what do they do? Well, the most obvious thing, I would say probably the most notable function of the skeletal system is providing structure and shape to the human body. Well, if you didn't have bones, we'd just be a blob. Yeah. In fact, my son has, so we actually bought him like a junior anatomy and physiology book. Mm -hmm. And it actually has exactly that. It just shows like this little kid who's a blob because he has no bones, which is actually super horrifying. But he thinks it's Did you ever read uh, Farside? No. He had one of his cartoons. It was a boneless chicken ranch. <laughs> all his chickens just laid out on the ground and all skew and everything. So, well, exactly. Uh, so they also serve as um, they also serve as anchor points for muscles. Healthy bones are vital for humans to achieve locomotion uh, as well. If you didn't have this structure, we wouldn't Everybody's be able to move. Doing mm, dance now. Come on, baby, okay, do the okay. Uh, and here's one of the interesting things. Bones actually play a role in just about every physical voluntary task. So in terms of, I mean, every time if you're thinking about taking a deeper breath, now obviously there's the involuntary task of breathing, which also bones play a role in your rib cage expanding. Uh, but even to scratch something, to pick up something, bones well, I mean, are there. The role they play is providing the structure so that the muscles can do their job. Yeah. And they're the anchor point. So they also provide protection as well. That's another key point to the bone. So when you think about protection, think about things like the rib cage. Or wolverine. Pelvis. or Exactly. Adamantium. Mm -hmm. You know, very important uh, to the structure of bones. It has nothing to do with the musician adamant. Doesn't? Mm -mm. Oh. I actually didn't think it did. Don't know, <laughs> don't know why I'm suddenly surprised. Um, also think about, you, about your skull. So they provide protection to your vital organs. Um and then the pelvis, that also protects the greater vessels, like the inferior vena wow, cava. the pretty gooder vessels. The pretty gooder, right. Well, yeah, by the time they get down there, <laughs> right. they're, 
They're they're kind of second class. Well, really. And really, if you think about it, the only organs that really aren't protected by a skeletal system are going to be your abdominal organs. Yeah, that's kind of just on their own, right? Yeah, that's good luck. Mm-hmm. Good luck. But if you think about that in terms of the way the the body is designed, your abdominal organs, while totally necessary for prolonged life in right. terms of like fight or flight or more combat situations, right? Uh, we usually actually shit the body actually shunt blood away from them because it just ain't that important, right? So it's probably yeah. Uh, the other thing they have is uh, blood production. So a lot of people actually don't really realize that bones bleed and they bleed like stink. Uh, they bleed quite a bit. That's because of their involvement in uh, producing red blood cells, white blood cells, and plasma. And that's actually uh, producing the bone marrow within a, within a bone. Well, this is why an open fracture can be – one of the reasons an open fracture can be so dangerous is because you can actually get a thrombus. Right. Yeah, you can get a clot in there, and, and then that clot's going to enter your vascular system, and who mm-hmm. knows where it's going to end up. It could be in your heart, be a heart attack, end up in your brain, be a stroke. Be in your lungs, be a PE. Yeah. Or it can just be in your leg. It could be a DVT. Yeah. Um, red bone marrow is found. Uh, however, important note, uh, not every bone produces red blood cells. No. Uh, red blood, uh, red bone marrow is found in most of like your, your flat bones, such as, um, your sternum, skulls, shoulder blades. And, uh, it's also found in the ends of your femurs. It's found in your pelvis. It's also found in the ends of the, uh, humerus as well. So only red bone marrow produces blood cells and will be replaced gradually over time by yellow bone marrow. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, yellow bone marrow is an inactive is it's inactive in the production of blood cells. So now is technically later. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Um, and yellow bone marrow primarily acts as fat storage. So in instances of severe blood loss, the body can actually recruit yellow bone marrow back and convert it back to red bone marrow to produce more red blood cells over time not like an immediate thing no no yeah it's it's not like do it now you know this right. is something where it's the it's the building blocks that the body can use when they're not getting the nutrients they need because of other things yeah and also it's um it also kind of sucks getting old because as you get older mm-hmm. you're just going to start losing more and more red red bone marrow mm-hmm. which is again you know we've talked about this in other uh, episodes particularly cardiovascular losing blood to a younger person because we talked about like shock like 15 percent of your blood to mark right. and i isn't that much you go to an older person who you know also they don't have the cardiovascular system to compensate for it right. they're also not going to have the red bone marrow available over time to replace that blood volume right so that's also why it sucks getting old uh, another big role they have is calcium storage Bone consi- uh, bones consist of a buttload of calcium. They're almost that is the vast majority of the of the bony of the bone structure. The hard part. Standard buttload or metric buttload? Uh, metric. Okay. Yeah, they do most of because you know kilograms well, or most of our dosages. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. um, but calcium is actually used for more than just building bones. Although ninety nine percent of your bone of your body's calcium resides in your bones, it's still critical in other functions such as blood clotting, muscle contractions, uh, nerve impulses. Um, Things like muscle contractions and nerve impulses, that's a critical life function. So even though it's only about 1% of the calcium in your blood is used for that, if you dip below the amount you need, it's critical. And so your body will actually then treat your bones as excess calcium storage and mm-hmm. will break down your bones. A little cell called an osteoclast will do that. Mm-hmm. And to raise your blood calcium levels. This can lead to osteoporosis. we got a little blurb on osteoporosis later. Like right now? Well, no, not like now is later. Oh, like okay. later, later. Oh, okay. 
which I guess would be now. <laughs> when did we do it? Just now. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, so, yeah. Well, Chris, where are the bones compromised of? What the fuck are the bones compromised <laughs> of? Or what do they comprise well, of? Well, I know that they're covered by the periosteum. They are covered by the periosteum. Yeah, it's a thin but tough fibrous coating that provides protection and support for the blood vessels. Right. And because these things, and that blood vessels by the BT dubs mm-hmm. uh, are all over in your bones. All over? All over in your bones. Well, I mean, I know that like when we're going to be doing a chest decompression, that's why we go over the top of the rib. Because they do, the, the rib actually has a, both an artery and a vein mm-hmm. that runs along the back, the underside of it. Mm-hmm. And so if you actually went underneath it, you could prick that thing. And that's, well, don't prick arteries in the chest. And just so you, anybody who doesn't know, a chest decompression is where we will actually take a needle and poke it through the chest wall because the lung has a hole in it, is leaking air out into the chest cavity. Yeah. And, or blood into the chest cavity and it's compressing that lung. Yeah. So we release that pressure. And if you're, if you ever actually want to see um, periosteum, in real life, without either maiming someone or yourself, right. uh, next time you're at a T-bone steak, if you want, and I've noticed this from time to time, you've probably actually done this. You'll actually notice that there'll be almost a little bit of layer between the meat of the steak and the bone itself that you can kind of grab with your fingers and peel off. That is the but pe- can't cut through. Yeah, it's it, it, it's very dense and fibrous. Mm-hmm. That is the periosteum, mm-hmm. and that's actually kind of a good way to to see what a periosteum now is. Now that you've ruined T-bone steaks for people. Eh, didn't ruin it for me. I love them. <laughs> so just underneath the periosteum, that's where you're going to find the compact bone. That's the dense bone uh, that provides the bulk of the mass. It's comprised of kind of like these column structures that are called osteons. And inside of each one of these columns, there's a small canal. Actually, it's called the central canal. Go fig. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the middle where nerves and blood vessels travel through. Isn't that what they call the canal at uh, Caesar's Palace? I don't know, because I think there's a reference here that I don't get. <laughs> well, I, Central Canal. Yeah. The Caesar Palace have like a canal running through it? I thought so. I don't know. Which is actually funny because... Well, I've... So here's the thing. I've been to Vegas and I've been to Caesar's Palace. I don't remember Caesar's Palace. I thought they did because they had the guys on the boats, the Italian guys on the boat singing. Eh, I don't know. I mean, like, are they actual Italian guys? Like, is that like a requisite for the job? No. Must be Italian... Must be able to sing and row a boat through a casino. Well, they're not rowing. They're using the big sticks to push themselves along. Oh, gotcha. In English, they, in England, they call it punting. Oh, okay. Seems a weird thing, but it is the English. Anyway, uh, unless you're from England, love you. Right. So uh, just inside the compact bone, you got the spongy bone. So it's called a spongy bone because it looks like a sponge. If you were to take... Yeah. Think about... Ride, you can ride the canals at the... At the oh, it's at the Venetian. Damn it. Oh, now see, had you said Venetian, I would have Well, no, inside Caesar's Palace and the Venetian, they're part of the same. I mean, clearly. Well, it makes sense. Venice, canals, Venetian, canals. Yeah. Now it comes together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now it's funny, right? Yeah. No, that's that's (laughs) all hilarious. (laughs) Totally worth the effort we put into that. Oh, yeah. No, that'll make it into the final cut. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Actually, probably will. (laughs) So where are we at now? Uh, spongy bone. Oh, this looks like a sponge, right? But it's not It's not soft, though. Yeah. And when you think about a sponge, don't think about like your Scotch-Brite. Think about like the uh, the sponge that's actually based off of the mollusk, the sponge. Like what you'd see. Like uh, a loofah. Yeah. Or a, um, not a loofah, but the, uh, the, the 
stone that you use to like get rid of exfoliate. Oh, a pumice skin. stone. There you go. That you know that that's actually really good. I know it does look like quality. Yeah, but it's not soft. Everything like, comes on my lips is gold. Actually, it's not bad. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I mean, Venetian Canal thing notwithstanding. Well, you know, I mean, you have to leave that in. Well, you know, and and it's kind of one of those <laughs> things that when when you le- when you reach Mark's level of greatness. <laughs> every once in a blue moon, you got to visit. That's a nice way of saying I'm fat. Well, you, you got to, every once in a blue moon, you got to dip down into lesser levels of greatness to really appreciate <laughs> your own level of greatness. Sometimes it's better to see it from above. Sometimes it's better to see it from below. Uh, so yeah, spudgy bump looks like pumice. Uh, and it its primary goal is to provide structure to support the red bone marrow. Now the red bone marrow, which is, I guess you say more spongy, mm-hmm. really spongy slash slimy. Well, this is why if you have a br- an open break in this area, you can actually get, it's still very solid. It's not liquid like blood. Yeah. And so you can actually get a thrombus uh, break off on that with a certain type of breaks. Yeah. Um, it's also something that when we do something called an IO, which is mm-hmm. an interosseous uh, needle, an IO is basically if we can't get an IV in somebody and we really need access, like for a code 99, we- Which lit- is a cardiac arrest where you do CPR. And we have an episode on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's simply put, it is a drill that drills a needle into a bone. You can watch videos on YouTube. Yep, and uh, it's funny. I when I tell people who really don't know what it is, you guys do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it painful? Probably. I'm, <laughs> not for me. Not for me. I mean, it's <laughs> well, the thing is, when we do it, the patient's probably dead or dying. Yeah, they have bigger things on their mind or nothing on their mind. <laughs> Usually nothing. Yeah. But uh, anyway, and what we'll actually do with that needle is we'll, uh, we put them in spots that are typically rich in red bone marrow mm-hmm. that have a lot of vasculature mm-hmm. to where uh, vasculature is uh, veins and arteries, uh, where when we push drugs through that needle, they get immediately absorbed into the vascular system. And it's very close, if not identical to IV administration. Right. In my experience, it's been a little bit slower in terms of like flowing fluids. Oh, I think that's being rectified by doing a humeral. Right. And I've done a few humerals now, and it is faster. And it's not funny. Yeah, no. No humor at all. Uh, but when we do it, once we put the needle in, we'll aspirate back with a syringe. Mm-hmm. And every once in a blue moon, and I've, this actually has happened to me with the humerus one way more than ever happened tibial. Um, we used to give it in the leg, lower leg. Um, we'll aspirate a little bit of bone marrow in there. Mm-hmm. So we'll try and keep that for the ER because I don't know what they do with it. I think they make toothpaste out of it. But still, they want it. And so uh, the, uh, today we have the drills. Yeah. Before that, we used to have basically a big honk of needle mm-hmm. that you would just kind of grind into the bone yeah. until you pop through into the, uh, intraosseous space, hoping you didn't go all the way through to the other side. That was called a jam sheety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what, you jammed it right in there. Well, I, and I think that was actually the name of the doc that, that made the thing. And I used to think it was just slang. Hmm. But I think his name was actually Jam Sheedy, something like that. We'll have to Google First that. name, last name, or all last name? And all last name. Hmm. But uh, anyway, so that's the red bone marrow. So uh, as I alluded to earlier, though, red bone marrow, over time as you get older, will slowly be replaced by yellow bone marrow. So yellow bone marrow, fun fact, is actually not present in newborns. When you're born, all you have is red bone marrow. However, from the moment you're born it starts converting into yellow bone marrow. Yellow bone marrow exists primarily in the central cavity of long bones, like your femur and your humerus, and it serves as fat storage. 
Since red marrow will gradually be replaced by yellow marrow as, uh, marrow as we get older, so it can technically be found anywhere that red marrow resides as well. Uh, but in your typical adult, you're going to find it in like this, the middle of the femur, not towards the ends, but in the middle of the shaft. Same with the humerus and uh, those areas. Named after the inventor Cosro Jamshidi. Please mm. forgive my pronunciation if I got that wrong. And that is an Iranian physician. And then, of course, blood vessels. Blood vessels are part of the bone structure, although they're not really made by the osteoblasts, which are the type of cells that form bone as you're being born. Um, they are – Mark's laughing because I think he knows I'm showing off the big words that I learned. No, I'm laughing at the duh stuff, talky talk, make bleed. <laughs> Again, strong not, research, sir. Strong research. Not, not everything I write down is, <laughs> is meant to be broadcasted. Oh, I can't let that slide. <laughs> I know. Uh, but it's this vasculature, though, that can actually make um, bone fractures deadly. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about bone fractures, I think a lot of people don't think of a broken bone as something that's immediately life-threatening. And in a lot of cases, it's not, with a few exceptions. What we start worrying about is we worry about bone fractures of larger bones, such mm -hmm. as the femur and pelvis. The pelvis. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Sternum. Sternum. Because these are bones that contain lots of red bone marrow mm -hmm. and they contain lots of blood vessels. Mm -hmm. And if you can imagine, these are nice soft blood vessels that are now in something that's hard and shattered with sharp edges. Right. They're going to break. They're going to bleed. And they can bleed a lot and you can bleed to death. You can bleed to death in your pelvis without any external bleeding. Whatsoever. Because mm -hmm. you can lose. So if you remember back to our shock episode uh, when we talked about hypovolemic shock – which is a just lack of blood volume, that's 40% or greater is the worst you can be. That, that, that's level four. Bells and whistles should be going off. You're going to – you're not doing well. Forty If you lose 40% of your blood volume. Average human is five to six liters. You can lose three liters through your pelvis by itself. Mm -hmm. So that – and that's, so that's more than 50%. And the thing is also to remember is that the amount of damage it takes to break your pelvis to the point where you're bleeding out mm – -hmm. You've probably done some damage to one of your femurs, at least. Oh, yeah. Well, and also consider... And there's another, what, 10 to 15% of your blood from your femur? Uh, well, femur is uh, one to one and a half liters. Yeah. So that's quite a bit. So if you got hit by a car on your right side and you broke your femur <clears throat> and your pelvis, mm -hmm. you're now at four to four and a half liters out of the six. Yeah. Which, which is dead. Right. Yeah. So exactly. So bone, So broken bones by themselves, can be super severe and super deadly. Uh, so. Super deadly or super, super deadly? Um, That's for my daughter, if I ever listen to this. She I, ever listens to this. <laughs> it actually turns out, so so there's a few episodes back, I believe, where I mentioned, I, ma I made almost a stab at my own mother not listening. Mm -hmm. She called me, told me she does. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Mom. <laughs> my mom does. She does it uh, the other day we were uh, somewhere. Oh, it was up in Bellingham. Oh when yeah, I took my daughter up there. She was we were doing stuff upstairs, and she was sitting down on the couch. And I came down, and she had to turn off the po uh, podcast because she was sitting on the couch listening to it. No, I know. Now she um, she cheats a little bit because she's got Bluetooth uh, hearing aids. Oh yeah, oh does she? Yeah, so she can actually just sit there and play it, and it plays it through. Yeah, she can answer her phone and never pick up her phone. She can do it through her hearing aids. I am so the look on my face right now is like a kid that just heard of a new toy he wants, <laughs> and I'm not I'm not hard of hearing. Sorry, what? Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm not hard of hearing, but I want hearing aids now. <laughs> Bluetooth hearing aids. Yeah. And they're pretty cool because they come with an app and you can like, like if she's riding in the car, 
she told me she'll turn down her right ear so she doesn't hear the road noise, but she'll turn up her left ear so she can hear my dad talking. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I think my wife would turn up the left ear. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We all win. We all win. <laughs> right. Uh, so kind of get back into the injury of bones. Oh, something else that I, I missed in my notes here about the structure of bones is something that Mark talked about a little bit earlier. You mentioned is the epiphyseal plate or the epiphyseal line. Mm-hmm. So when you're, when your bones growing, what it ends up doing is, um, there's a part of the bone when you're, when you're, when you're just a wee lad or lass, um, the hydro grasshopper, the, no, praying mantis. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, that, there's a part of it called the epiphyseal plate, or also known as the growth plate. And this is an area of concentrated calcium that basically is at the far end of your bone. And as your bone grows, um, this plate kind of moves along with it until your bone gets to a certain spot, uh, and, or I guess a certain size. And then the bone structure kind of grows a bit beyond that and starts forming uh, a more complete synovial capsule, which is the capsule around the joint right there on either end. And if you were to look inside of an adult bone, you'd see something called the epiphyseal line, which is you'll see where there's a spongy bone that we talked about earlier. It looks like pumice. And then you'll see like a solid line in that bone. That's where the epiphyseal plate was. Mm -hmm. Now in children, we have to be very, we have to be very careful. If there's damage to an epiphyseal plate, this can prevent the bone from growing because in the epiphyseal plate are is a concentration of osteoblast and that allows the bone to grow. So we have to be careful when we start these IOs, if we're going to be putting them in a kid's leg, we, if we put them in too high. Which traditionally was where we went. Right. Because um, we will use these on uh, children a lot more than adults just because children can be so hard to attain IV vasculature yeah. on. Yeah, because their, their vasculature is so small, it's hard to get, I mean... It's a simple thing of trying to hit a smaller target. So we'll do these IOs, and yeah, if, if we screw them up and we hit too high on the bone, because we typically put it in the tibia, which is your shin bone. If we screw it up and put it too high, we can damage the epiphyseal plate, and that can actually cause problems down the line in terms of bone growth. Mm-hmm. So anyway, just wanted to mention that before we moved on. Uh, so bone types. So anyway, you have your flat bones, like your skull, your sternum, the ribs, your scapula. It takes quite a bit of energy to break your scapula. Oh, yeah. And the reason is, one of the reasons is, A, it's a very thick bone. Mm. And two, it's a very mobile bone. So it takes uh, a lot of force to break the scapula because it's so mobile that it has to basically break it before it Mm. moves too far out of the way. Yeah. You know. So if you have somebody with a scapular fracture, you're worried very much about the bones, uh, the ribs beneath it. And also the structures, you know, the muscles, the vasculature and everything like that, because it takes so much force to break this. Like, uh, it's like your first rib. If you break your first rib, you're probably going to die. Yeah. Because not because there's anything necessarily more or less important by the first rib, but it's protected by a lot of musculature and it's protected by the clavicle and it's kind of tucked in behind everything. So if you do enough trauma to get through and break that first rib, you're doing a lot of trauma to the body. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so, so the scapula is your shoulder blade, in, ca- in case you didn't no. know. It's yeah, just, scapula, yes. Okay. Yeah, it's just, and it's like a large plate of armor on your back. Right. So, uh, you know, these bones are essentially armor plating. They're designed to protect the organs beneath them, and they provide large surface area for muscle attachments. With the scapula is a perfect example of that. Right. Uh, so next you have your long bones. And, I mean, the long bones are not anything really to do with the length as much as the thickness. I mean, yes, they're long, mm-hmm. but you mean, you could say 
as one of our protocols, you know, if you have two or more long bone fractures, that's an automatic entry into the trauma system. Right. And, you know, but if you, so one of the questions that comes up with a lot of new paramedics is, well, the person broke their wrist and it's a radius in the ulna. Generally, your radius in your ulna as long as your femur. I'm sorry, as long as your humerus. Yeah. So their trauma system entry. No. Yeah. You know, because they don't have the uh, girth of the femur, of the humerus. Good God. <laughs> um, so that the ability to break him is much lower. Right. I mean, it doesn't take as much energy to break your radius nulna as it does to break your humerus. Yeah. He nailed it. So, <laughs> And they uh, also don't have a large concentration of red, of red marrow in those ones. Right. So. You know. But, I mean, I, I think it's – for the protocol, I think it's more just the amount of energy transfer that it takes to break those long bones. It's true. You know, um, you know, your femur, your humerus, they support your weight and they facilitate locomotion. Uh, you have your short bones. You know, with your short bones, uh, these are going to be mainly in areas where stability is needed as well as some flex. The tarsals and the carpals are a good example of that. And the carpals are kind of the bones – just past your wrist. Yeah. And so if you want to feel them, find that, uh, that um, just kind of find your wrist joint. And then as you kind of move from your, that kind of soft gap in your wrist as a joint, as you move forward, that first bone you hit, those are your carpals right there. Right. And then the bones coming off of that going to your knuckles are the? Metacarpals. Right. And you have something very similar in your feet. Yeah. And the thing is, especially like in your feet, mm -hmm. uh, you do have a number of bones that make up your foot. And there's a number of them. And it's really hard to actually break your foot, like the bones in there. Usually if you hear somebody's got a foot fracture, it's because they've damaged all the tendons in there and yeah. the ligaments. And it's actually worse and harder to heal. <laughs> it's like a bone will heal quicker than all those tendons and ligaments, especially in something like your foot, oh, which yeah. you use all the time. Oh, yeah. You know, so it never really gets a chance to get a good heal going. Yeah. So um, a single large bone in this area would be brittle and prone to fractures under load. You know, the, the, the advantage of these is that the flexibility allows for better structure. It's kind of like when you're on a bridge and you, you're stopped and the uh, semi goes by and you feel the whole bridge shake. Yeah. If they made the bridge completely rigid, that would make it brittle. By building give into it, you can take a heavier load yeah. with the same structure. So, having, yeah, just having a cluster of short bones moving a little bit is a lot better than mm -hmm. one big bone. So... Irregular bones, like your pelvic bone. Pelvic bones? Yeah, you have the ilium. Yeah. The, yeah. Your vertebrae. Uh, these bones are specific, are shaped to serve a specific function. <laughs> so your vertebrae are your back, your spine, you know, and they're built a very specific way to be able to facilitate movement. Right, or the pelvis to be able to facilitate childbirth. Right. You know, it's got specific things in there. There's... Uh, the vertebrae, for example, I mean, their job is to protect the spinal cord. So they have a very specific canal through them. They have very specific holes on either side to allow nerves to go through. And they're broken up into more than one vertebrae because if you just had one rod up your back, oh God. that would, A, again, be very brittle and prone to breaking. Although some days after lifting the patients that we get to lift, I right. feel like I have one big rod on exactly. my back. <laughs> you know, but they're flexible, just like in your hands. You can bend over. You can. I mean, it's not... a if it was just one big piece, it would be impractical. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know? uh, during childbirth, the uh, pelvis will actually spread apart in the female so it's make more room for the baby to come through. Mm -hmm. In fact, that can be a problem during childbirth if the baby gets too large. Yeah. 
Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have your uh, <laughs> sesamoid. Sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, There's a reason I asked you to do this. <laughs> Way to play the long game on that one. Though. Yeah. Uh, the sesamoid bones would just be like your patella, which is your knee, your uh, kneecap. These bones basically serve as links for tendons. And in uh, the case of the kneecap, uh, or in the case of the kneecap, tendons are connected to the kneecap at the top and the bottom to provide strength. So if the if it wasn't for the patella, you would basically the the next design, I guess, would just be a long tendon that went essentially from the top of your foot mm-hmm. to the base of your thigh, right over the knee, um, which would in theory work, but it would be weak right around the middle. Right. You put a cap in there. You put have them attached to a bone right in the middle. Right. It provides strength. Well, and the thing is, is that the, uh, essentially, except for the tendons and muscles, uh, the kneecap is a free-floating bone. Yeah. doesn't really interact with anything. So you can actually do damage and dislocate your kneecap without dislocating your knee. Yeah. You know, and still very painful. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's not like you dislocate your shoulder. I mean, those are, yes, they're held in with tendons and muscles and ligaments, but... There's an actual connection there between the two. There's a bone coming out of a socket. Right. You know. You know. So if you dislocate that, it's very tough to get back in there. Whereas if you dislocate a knee a lot of the time, a kneecap, it's a lot of times much easier to relocate that. And in fact, and this wasn't always the case, um, paramedics are now allowed to uh, relocate or to, well, what we call it, it's called a reduction, a dislocated uh, patella or the kneecap. Right. Um, as long as there's not too much associated trauma with that. Right. And so typically we'll do that. Have Auburn. you done that? No, I haven't. Have you? Accidentally. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it wasn't accidentally. It was right when that was cleared by the uh, medical control board. Cool. I was on scene with the fire department. Lady was working in a kennel, a veterinarian slash kennel, and she it was her job to take the dogs out and take them for a walk. When you first said working in a kennel, I just imagined some gal cleaning out a dog kennel. <laughs> Like well, no. she's working in a kennel. No, no, no. <laughs> but this very large dog was very excited and basically ran into her and twisted her knee weird. Oh. And uh, first time any, any of us had done this, so we told her what we are going to do. We got everything set up. We pulled out the protocol book just to make sure we are playing by the rules. And as we are doing that, she shifted in her seat because she was uncomfortable and relocated her kneecap. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> and the firefighter sitter goes, uh, never mind. <laughs> we're like what she's like, he's like oh, it just happened on its own so yeah we're like awesome. so ma'am could you for our educational benefits dislocate that again so we could go back and do this because we were really excited yeah i almost gave tortle the other day really i've given yeah uh jan and i gave tortle oh wow and the only thing i don't like about tortle is how long it takes to onset oh gotcha yeah because i am um, i pulled it up because I, I want i want to double check i pulled out the book and then I asked Mike, and then I got to the, I go to contradiction. I'm like, do you have a history of uh, ulcers? She's like, yes, constantly. Well, forget it. <laughs> so, no, it's a good medication for what we use it for. And uh, when we say we pull out the book, is we have a protocol book, which defines what we are allowed to do and not allowed to do. Yeah. And generally, I know there are probably going to be people in parts of this country who work in EMS where this is frowned upon. You should know your protocols. Right. And we do. I know how much Tordal to give. I know. You know <laughs> I do study him. But first time I'm giving it, let's take a quick look. Oh, the first thing. time I gave ketamine, I told the patient, hey, this is my first time giving this medication. I'm f- perfectly comfortable giving it. 
I'm just going to pull out my book real quick just to make just to double check. Well, here's the thing. No one's life is hanging in the balance waiting for Toradol. Right. <laughs> so get off my back. <laughs> well, no, some of the EMS systems, it's like a point of pride. If you have to pull out, it's it's almost looked frowned upon as a, you're not a very good medic. If you have to pull out your protocol and take a look at it. Yeah, it's kind of silly. Uh, we had a uh, medic who came here from a neighboring county. Oh, wow. And he was blown away by the, our pediatric drug guide. Really? Because where he came from, you should know your protocols. And the problem with pediatric patients, well, it's not a problem. The benefit of pediatric patients is that they're generally very healthy. Yeah. So we don't necessarily run them as much as we do as adult patients. And so we have a pediatric drug guide, which is built for our protocols. There's, I mean, there's commercially based ones you can buy mm-hmm. and they have everything under the sun on them. Yeah. Stuff we're never going to use. They don't carry it. Right. Um, so we use a pediatric drug guide, but the fact that that was not only acceptable, but encouraged was an amazing concept to them. Which is interesting because, uh, Anyone who's really developed solid standards for treating pediatrics, they now, I mean, American Heart Association, when you take the pediatric advanced life support class, they say in there, refer to your pediatric guide. Right. Because it's a lot better. Basically, what these are is these guides, you measure the height of the pedi- of the of the kiddo. It gives you an estimated weight range based on a height. Mm-hmm. And then that gives you your estimated drug ranges. And it does your calculations for you. Yeah. So you're not so sitting in the middle of a stressful situation. You're not trying to multiply 18 kilograms times 0.02 milligrams per kilogram, which, I mean, we all know how to do that. Yeah. But then when you add the stress of this is a critical pediatric patient, which is mm-hmm. horrible, plus the stress of family stand there staring at you. Yeah. Get out the guide. Let's be right rather than be manly. And here's the thing about that, too, is it's not that we don't – it's not that I completely rely on that guide to exist and don't know any of my dosages. Right. I do. Because someday I might open that bin and be like, hey, shit, the guide's missing. Right. Or someone drops it on scene and now it's gone. Right. Something happens. But generally speaking – In my mind, it falls into the, uh, checking the patient's rights every time you give a medication. Yeah. It's absolutely. better to double check. Oh, yeah. So, okay, so uh, joints, joints, blunts, spliffs. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, so it's kind of funny. I, I do want to talk about one thing really quick. Um, in our system, a while ago, we went to a needle, well, not completely needleless, but we replaced a lot of the needles that we used to drop and deliver medications with blunt needles. Mm-hmm. And so people were just referring to them as, as blunts. Still do. It's yeah. actually on the... Uh, <laughs> on our CPR, our, our uh, inventory sheet every day is a blunt. Yeah, and uh, and so it it didn't immediately like even strike me as <laughs> blunt, you know that kind of thing until one day a medic um, pops out and he done a quick inventory in the morning and I'm supervising and he needs some supplies and he goes he goes hey man can we get a couple blunts for the road <laughs> and we both just kind of stopped <laughs> I go back I'm like probably not. <laughs> For those of you who are uh, more pure than Chris and I, uh, a blunt is a type of marijuana cigarette. Uh, Just the way you said that sounded like a fifth, like a 1950s government ad about the dangers of marijuana. <laughs> it's actually from a Cheech and Chong album where they have <laughs> a police officer come into their school. He's like, do you know what this is? And all the kids are like, a joint reefer, a, you know, all this kind of stuff. There's all the slang terms. 
No, it's a marijuana cigarette. <laughs> uh, generally, blunt is a. It can be referred to as a joint, uh, like a rolled, uh, a rolled joint. Mm-hmm. But from what I understand, blunts are generally uh, hollowed out cigars where they've replaced the tobacco with marijuana, so that you can smoke your cigar while you're driving or out in public. Yeah, and it doesn't look like you're smoking marijuana. Yeah, but anybody with a nose will realize that. Uh, well, if you're outside, it blows off. You know, I mean, you could say it's a flavored blunt. I mean that what I've read on the internet. Anyway, so joints. So a joint is basically where two bones meet. And the type of joint uh, is basically a descriptor of how the two bones interact. So first type, you have a pivot joint. So a good example, this will be between the C1 and the C2 vertebrae. These are your two, we talked about the spine, mm-hmm. has all those vertebrae. Well, these are the two top. Well, C stands for cervical, which is your neck. Yeah. And so C1, right on top of that, is your skull. Mm-hmm. Below that is C2. and Which are also called the? Uh, atlas and axis. There you go. So uh, a pivot joint is a, a great example of a pivot joint. If you have a ring on your is finger. C1 or C2? Uh, C1 and C2 together are pivot joint around each other. Right. Those are a perfect example of them. But I mean, like if you have, as an example, you can look at now, if you have a ring on your finger, mm-hmm. go ahead and put your finger up and spin your ring around it. That is how. I'm so alone. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> I'm gonna need a minute. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you have a ring on your finger, go ahead and spin that around. That ring is now pivoting around that finger, and that is a pivot joint. Mm-hmm. Next up that is a hinge joint. This is pretty simple concept to understand. A good example of a hinge of a hinge joint would be your elbow, and that's basically a joint that allows movement uh, in one axis. Okay, so your your elbow can only do this. It can come in and it can go out. Okay, that's basically all it can do. And you can rotate your arm almost 180 degrees or more. Yeah. But that's not affecting your elbow joint. No. That's actually the ability of your uh, radius and ulna to twist because of it. That's, but that's not the joint itself twisting. So we had a, I ran a call, lady uh, uh, dislocated her elbow. And it was at a soccer, like a, a adult league soccer tournament. Mm-hmm. And it was at a large uh, football stadium that's here in our county. And uh, they had like three or four fields. They weren't full-size soccer fields. Uh, three or four, uh, so- they weren't full-size soccer fields. They're basically across the width of the field, of the okay. football field. So we get a report that somebody tried to relocate this elbow for her. Ooh. And it didn't go well. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Yeah. You mean having your buddy try to do medical procedures? Oh, no, portraits? no. It wasn't even her buddy. It was a female. It was an off-duty RN that used to work on the ortho floor. Mm. And she came over and basically grabbed this lady's arm and tried to relocate it without even really asking permission. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. That's so what we, we call there. assault, actually. <laughs> exactly. So we get there and the fire department's there and uh, they're t- treating the patient. And I'm standing there and I go, so I hear somebody tried to relocate it. And all the fire guys are watch like, not us. Yeah. Not <laughs> us. One of the reasons with relocating an elbow is that a very high percentage of the time you also have a fracture. Yeah. And so a lot of emergency rooms won't even relocate an elbow until they get an x-ray just to make sure there's no fracture associated with it. Well, you know what that nurse wanted to do is they wanted to be able to walk up and ka-chaka, fix it mm-hmm. and kind of move Play super on. nurse. Yeah. And we often, you know, it's funny, you run, you'll get uh, nurses that do that. Another thing you'll run onto is uh, the Rescue Randy sort of paramedics mm-hmm. or EMTs. 
that are just all sorts of into their job and they arrive on scene and they got their little kits and then they're doing something and they just they messed it up. Doing. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I mean, it happens, it happens in, in all the professions, but um, I've tend to notice that at least in the land of EMTs, that's usually the EMT or paramedic that actually doesn't do a lot, you know, in terms of maybe they have a volunteer status at maybe a very low volume system. Right. Uh, I don't know a lot of paramedics that work, particularly in our high-volume system, that would fall into that category. Well, I remember uh, when I was married. I'm so alone. Um, my ex-wife is an uh, ear nurse. Gotcha. You're out and about doing your day. Somebody falls. Hmm. The rescue randies or these other nurses would go running towards that. Yeah. Uh, she and I would be like, mm, now they're getting up the front. <laughs> they got it. Yeah. They're good. Now, if somebody went down and something truly life-threatening were going on, of course, of course. we'd go, we'd go help. Of course. But yeah, yeah. we're just like, uh, yeah, she's good. We're how about this? If there's a chance that I cannot be involved and sleep at night, I'm going to wait and see if that chance is there. Right. <laughs> but You know, I mean, if somebody stopped breathing and slumped over, we'd be there in a flash. Probably, yeah. So next up would be your saddle joint. So yeah, good a good example of a saddle joint is your wrist. And so what a saddle joint allows is this is movement in two axes. So if you take your wrist, you can wave, wave. like this, and you can also wi- wave. <laughs> like- okay, you can wave up and down, or you can wave side to side. Saying wave like this while doing it on a podcast, Chris? Yeah. Doesn't do much for the listener. Damn. Well, no, hang on. Guys, just look at <laughs> – I'm waving at the microphone. They should be able to <laughs> see on. this. Come on. Uh, but, yeah, it allows for – and it actually will allow for 360-degree motion. But the best way to think about a saddle joint in terms of function is it's almost like having – A horse. Precisely. Uh, <laughs> it's almost like having a – just take like a joint on a door. It's like having a joint on a door that goes one way and then attaching the same joint, a uh, similar joint to that that's rotated 90 degrees – Going, it just helps no one, does it? <laughs> no. Tell you what, we'll do this. Lift up your arm, make it go up and down like you're waving bye-bye. Then go side to side like you're waving like the queen. And that's And the then joint. turn your hand up so it's palm up, and then turn your hand down so it's palm down. I thought you were going to basically be instructing me to slap myself, <laughs> just seeing if I could do it. Because I'm imitating Mark this entire time. Uh, so after that, you have the plane joint. So the plane joint is essentially two flat bone ends together that are sliding along in just about any direction. An example of this is earlier we talked about the short bones in your tarsals and carpals. The short bones are all plane joints between each other, where precise controlled motion isn't the goal, but some motion is. Because the only movement those short bones really do is that when you... uh, plant your hand or your foot on a surface, they allow for a little bit of give between each other. Whereas if it was a solid one fused bone, there'd be no give and they would snap. So these joints, basically just a sliding surface they can slide around on. That is the uh, the plane joint. So next up would be your condyloid joint. These would be the bones between your radius and the bones of your, uh, the carpal bones of your wrist. So it achieves the same thing as the saddle joint does. A condyloid joint is an ovoid articular surface. So basically it's where two round ends come together. Oh, yes. As opposed to the saddle joint, which is two where two kind of almost like curved bones come together. 
So this permits uh, movement in two planes, allowing for the flexion, extension, adduction, and abduction, and circumduction. So I think the uh, the condyloid and the saddle joints are going to kind of work together to right. give you that full range of motion in multiple directions. So it's a, as opposed to like your elbow joint, which is two-dimensional, in and out, this is more of a three-dimensional joint between the two of them that allows you to do this, if I'm Chris. <laughs> right. Well, no. <laughs> point your hand at the microphone when you do that so they know. Because <laughs> I can't see it otherwise. I think I'm probably what I call the prom queen of the uh, of, yeah. the, of the joints. Oh, the, yeah. the ball and socket joint. Right. Everybody knows it. Oh, yeah. This is your uh, hips and shoulders. So a ball and socket joint is exactly. a ball. <laughs> In a socket. That goes into a socket. Now, it's not... Uh, completely surrounded the ball is not completely surrounded by uh, the socket it's more kind of fitted in there tightly and then a lot of tendons and muscles hold it in place yeah not to mention you actually have like a cartigilous capsule around them yeah i don't think cartigilous is a word (laughs) i don't think it is i wasn't willing to call you out on it yeah it sounded good yeah um so the problem with this is that while everything's in place mazel is great once you dislocate that, you become much more prone to dislocating it again because everything's become stretched out. It now has a now has an avenue out. So unless you actually have like a surgery, which will tighten everything back up, then you're going to be more prone to doing it. Um, this is also one of the problems with hip replacement surgeries is they can never get that perfect setup again. Once yeah. they go in and they replace the hip with a metal... And technology has been getting better to where it's better, right. but and but, I, I mean, one of the common things we run into with hip replacement people is that they go to sit down, their hip pops out of joint. Oh yeah, and they know what it is, and we have to take them to the hospitals and get relocated. And and it this hurts. May, it hurts a lot, and this may happen depending on the person multiple times a month, multiple yeah. times a week, and if it starts getting that frequent, then they have to go back in and have surgery on it again. Yeah. Uh, we went on a gal who was, she got a hip replacement. A woman. And yes, we went on a woman and she got a hip replacement and she was up until today loving her hip replacement. Changed her life Mm -hmm. because she, she had severe osteoarthritis. We'll talk about that a little bit later too, but that's basically where the, maybe, (laughs) uh, but basically that's where you have cartilage on the end of your bones to kind of help things uh, not be, not have too much friction. The the bone ends don't Mm -hmm. have too much friction shouldn't have too much friction. They'll grind it against each other. Well, this is why as you get older, your knees start hurting because that cartilage starts wearing away. Yeah. And so the bones are actually rubbing on each other. Well, and she had that going on in her hip, this ball socket joint. Mm -hmm. So every time she moved, it was just horribly painful and she was immobile because of it. She got it replaced. Best thing ever in her life. She loved it. All of her friends had talked about how it dislocates all the time. Nope, not for her. No problems with dislocation whatsoever till today. Mm-hmm. She was doing some gardening, tried to step through a tree in an odd way, and she was stuck in the middle of this tree with a dislocated hip. Like straddling the tree? Yeah. Oh. And it was one of those things, yeah, and, and it was just super awkward to get her out. But it was... Well, and this, unfortunately, and we were talking earlier about, you know, how medics kind of view these situations differently. <laughs> this is a horrible situation. But it's kind of one of the reasons why I like my job, because I like the challenge. Oh, Yeah. You know, you never really know what you're walking into when you go to a call. In this case, it was a, uh, like, 82-year-old woman stuck in a tree. Right. <laughs> Which is, well, and I guess I keep, I'm missing the punchline here. That's how it came across on Firecom. Firecom is our uh, local PSAP. 
uh, which basically dispatch center. And it came across as yeah, 82-year-old female stuck in a tree, hip dislocated. You know, and, and you make a mental image in your head of these calls when yeah. you hear things. You know? So you're thinking like way up in a tree. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. I'm mm-hmm. like, holy crap. Like, what is this 82-year-old woman doing in a tree? She's on the ground. <laughs> She's She was getting a cat. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the fire department's for. And the, and the thing is, is that we're not slamming on the PSAP. PSAP, as you, if you listen to other op, uh, episodes, have, is a public safety access point. It's a 911 center. Yeah. But the thing mm-hmm. is, is that they can only relay the information that they've been given. Right. And so somebody told them, well, yeah, she's stuck in a tree. But again, that conjures a mental image for us, you know, because you can, you know, it's natural. Yeah. Oh, they told them. How far up in the tree is she? Yeah, <laughs> you know, what, exactly. And because we're obviously at that point, we're also thinking about what are we going to need to get her down? Do we need to call specialized units with extrication tools or you know whatever? So Can then you just, walk in and you're like, yeah. oh, you just spray her with the hose, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you know, then you walk around, you walk around the scene, and you walk up, and you're like, oh, this is a lot less. Yeah, you know. So funny story. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's it. Uh, anyway. Uh, firefighter, close to retirement, hard of hearing. What? Not really suitable for the field work anymore. They decide, hey, let's just go have him do call taking and triage in the dispatch center. This is a long time ago. This your dad? No. Okay. No, no, no. This is way. My dad told me this story about mm-hmm. an old timer, a guy that my dad considered an old timer. Right. Yeah. So this is a ways to go. And they got a call. And someone had called and said, hey, my cat's stuck in a tree. You know, can you guys send the fire department out? And he's like, well, ma'am, you know, we don't really send the fire department out for cats stuck in trees. And she's like, she keeps saying, this. she goes, no, my cat is stuck in a tree. I need, the, I need help. Okay, ma'am, just put some of his favorite food at the base of the tree. They got up there. They'll come down. Finally, she goes, I demand to talk to somebody else. Okay. She was saying my kid's stuck in a tree. <laughs> And he told her to put the kid's favorite food <laughs> and he'll come down. He'll come down, be fine. Yeah. So, anyway, I had, I had fire comrade repeat a uh, chief complaint one time. Yeah, can you have them repeat that? It was a non emergent response, you know, no lights and sirens, uh, which is not uncommon for certain complaints, like a sick person who just has the cold. Right. You know, and I uh, told my person, can you have them repeat the. Uh, I'm repeat the chief complaint again because I think I misheard that. And they came back on the radio like, well, her catheter is out, which is uh, generally a Foley catheter, which drains your bladder. I went, oh, okay. And just as my partner keyed with the mic to say, thank you for repeating it, you know, some thank you. I go, swear to God, I heard she had a cat in her mouth. <laughs> and so my partner keys up the mic and just starts busting out laughing <laughs> to the point that I then have to take the mic from her and say, hey, thank you for that. To which their response was, uh, can you give us a call after this call? Once you're done with this this call, please, could you give, you know, the PSAP a call? I'm like, uh-oh. You know, sometimes you get some stick in the muds that, you know, you're not supposed to laugh on the radio. Yeah. No, they wanted to know what we're laughing so hard about. <laughs> <laughs> which I will say, if someone ever calls 911 for a cat legit stuck in the mouth, that's a good that's, call. Yeah, it's a good call. That's that's, that call is right one of those there. calls that we're going to be telling for forever. All right, so we might have to sprint through kind of this last bit here. Uh, this actually ended up being a longer topic than I thought it was going to be. Um, but oh. f- for the last header, what the fuck can happen to Bones? <laughs> um, well, we talked a little bit about this earlier. So with trauma, you can break the bone. Uh, 
And there are different levels of brake. I mean, there's clean brake. There's a green stick brake. There's right. a, you know, a, a spiral a, fracture. A spiral fracture. Just a, a hairline fracture. Yeah. Which is, you know, not necessarily. Yes, it's still a broken bone, but it's not like a clean break. Right. So um, the ones we really worry about are, like I said, the large bones. If a person falls and breaks their wrist, yes, we're going to treat them appropriately, but they're not going to, they're probably not going to die from it. Yeah. There's going to be something else going on here. But again, if you, if you break your uh, femur, you can lose up to a liter to a liter and a half of blood in your thigh. Yeah. Uh, tibia, your shin bone, also a big bone, although mm-hmm. not typically one I would worry about immediately, that's still half a liter to a full liter. Right. And if you're talking about other broken bones along with that, mm-hmm. that can start to add up. Uh, pelvis, like mentioned earlier, one and a half to three. And so, you know, one of the problems with these uh, breaks is that you have the sharp bone ends. Mm-hmm. And so like the femur, if that breaks, what happens is your quadriceps are sort of strong enough that they will actually contract and they will pull that bone so that they're no longer aligned. Quadriceps being uh, thigh muscles. Right. Um, you know, your quads, dude. <laughs> uh, Never and skip so leg, what happens dude. is if this person's moved around or that leg is moved around, those sharp ends will start cutting into muscle, causing more bleeding and more damage. So we try and splint these bones. And uh, for specifically mid-shaft femur fracture, we have what's called a traction splint. Yeah. And basically what we're going to do is we're going to put a device on the patient that pulls on that leg to straighten that bone back out until it falls back into place. And it's pretty amazing when it's done. Yeah. Because the patient will be in extreme amounts of pain and you can tell when it went back into it, when it goes back into alignment. Yeah. I mean, they're still broken. They still need to go to the hospital. They're still going to, they're far, far away from where they're going to end up being even with a cast. But- it's amazing how they're paying. They'd be like, oh, my God. Oh, uh, oh, oh, yeah, that's better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> Actually, so. the highest I ever made a guy with pain medicine was a guy who had a femur fracture on a horse tra- uh, trail. They were riding horses, hit a tree, fractured his femur. Um, we pulled traction, which helped, but we were also loading him, uh, loading him up with fentanyl. This was me and you, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, because they were making, because we, well, we stopped halfway to get more fentanyl on the way in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, this was me and you. Yep, yep. Yeah, because yeah. uh, we staged with a police officer, and like all three of us had to pee, and so there was like a creek down the below or something like that. <laughs> yep. And we're like, okay, so normally this is not kosher, but we are staged out here for an unknown amount of time, because at that point they hadn't found the patient. No. And so rather than having everybody running around the woods, they will generally set up a search party to find the patient, and- they had a firefighter because it was, um, what's his name, from Banks. Yeah. Who had ridden a horse in. Yeah. Because the lady told him there were no roads near her husband. And there was a road literally 60 foot from her husband. Oh, yeah. Well, because remember, they originally came in there saying they were going to need a helicopter. The lady's like, we're going to need a helicopter to get him out. And Thanks all this for kidding me. They're supposed to call the Coast Guard to be able to drop the basket down. and Yeah. Yeah, they passed two roads, the second of which being all 60 foot from her husband. <laughs> well, he was pissed because here's the thing. He can ride horses. He does not like to. Right. Does not care but for he horses. he climbed on the back of this horse with this lady and she rode him to where her husband was. Yeah. Now, she did not take a road. So what road did they just cross? Right. This is why we were staging and this is why we didn't know how long it was going to be before we would be able to. Yeah, and I believe we used a hair traction splint on him. We did, and it worked pretty well. The problem was we were on that hill, so anytime we tried to move him around, he'd slide a little bit. Yeah. And then we got him in the Stokes basket, and we carried him back up to the rig. But yeah. by the time we got to the rig, 
we were at 150 of uh, fentanyl at that yep. point. Yep. And we had to call and get it. Because I remember we stopped where I could get a cell connection <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the woods so we could call online medical control to get orders to give more fentanyl once we reached our max because we still had 30 minutes oh, to yeah. get to the hospital. Yeah, and yeah. it worked It worked well. Like, I was mm-hmm. pretty damn stoked. Yeah, our supervisor met I us. forgot you and I did that. Yeah, we uh, we met them down by uh, Timber Junction, not Timber Junction, but uh, Staley's Junction. Yeah. And uh, met the supervisor there, and they transferred more narcotics into our supply. Yeah, we just kept feeding the guy. Yeah. That was the day we stopped at the fire department because our running boards were so thick with mud. Oh, yeah. We, they were li- It was literally leveled off by the door, and we just wanted to borrow a hose real quick to uh, just clean off the mud from our running boards. Because we took a certain level of pride in how muddy this ambulance was. It was <laughs> really. muddy. It was muddy. And the lieutenant came out and was like, what did you do? <laughs> he goes, wait, I got a couple probies for this. <laughs> he called out his probies and had them clean our ambulance for us. It was nice. It was very nice. We did help them, but. So, yeah, so we uh, we can splint uh, after that, depending on depending on what the break is. It might just be a matter of realigning and putting a cast on. Cast just being a hard shell that holds mm-hmm. bones in place. But they could also end up with external fixator, uh, fixators with internal hardware. And Best example of an external fixator would be a halo, if people have seen that, where they've done damage to their neck and they've got the big framework that's bolted onto their head. To yeah, keep literally. From, yeah, bolted onto – oh, no, it's literally – and it sits on their shoulders. So it keeps them from turning their uh, their head. Yeah, and so you can also you'll see it with uh, some long bone fractures too in the arm. You'll mm-hmm. see like these metal pieces and internal hardware. I mean, it's literally metal strips and screws. I mean, they're not. I mean, it's not like they're going to Home Depot and stocking up on screws. They're but it, they're just getting medical grade ones of the same thing. They could, yeah, <laughs> they legitimately could, yeah. So um, and then it's amazing. What's really fun is when you get a brand new partner to the industry and they learn what can make a split. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because we carry splints. We carry a cardboard splint, and it's one that every EMT class teaches with where you pad it and everything like that. I don't like them. Yeah, they're, they're, I find them they're usually too big. Right. It's usually more And material. you can cut them down. I prefer like a good pillow splint or oh, a good yeah. blanket splint, and here's why. Yeah. Ambulances ride rough. Oh, yeah. And so you put this leg, even though you may pad it, you put it in a box, it just sits there and rattles down the road. Right. If you put a pillow splint, which is basically taking one of our pillows, wrapping it around the foot, taping it down tightly. Or arm, whatever. Or arm. <laughs> but I broke my arm. I'm wrapping this around your foot, damn it. <laughs> but, you know. I then, listen to medical stuff. Exactly. <laughs> uh, then you tape it down tightly. The nice thing about this is it's going to hold traction or hold that splint, that bone in place. But if there's swelling that happens, it's going to give a little bit of give for that. As you bounce down the road, you have the padding of the pillow to, to you know absorb most of that. Yeah. And plus, you're never going to be able to tighten that down to the point where you cut off blood supply. Well, and I, I actually tell, speaking of swelling, it is going to swell. Oh, yeah. It is going to swell. And I tell patients because a lot of times you'll get. it's not swell. What's that? And it is not swelled. Yeah. I I tell patients all the time, like, because you'll, you'll give them some narcotics, like, oh, gosh, I, I feel better. It's like, so here's the thing. It's going to swell. Mm-hmm. The swelling is going to start pushing on those bone ends. It's going to start hurting a little bit more. Let me know when that happens. I've got more candy. Oh, yeah. Never. I mean, I'm not advocating abusing pain medications, but in an emergency situation. So a lot of people probably heard the opioid crisis in America. 
The opioid crisis is not getting narcotics on the way to the hospital. No. The opioid crisis in America is the fact that opioids have been prescribed for a multitude of reasons. I'm not trying to down anybody. There is a whole, this is not just a bunch of, it's just not some gung-ho doctors that are trying to get everybody high. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, been a culture of uh, when a patient wants something, the doctors feel limited in their denial of that. Right. Because of litigation. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to deny somebody a medication that gives them comfort, can you then be held liable for their discomfort? Right. And because comfort is subjective, it's very hard to prove or disprove, and juries tend to side. With the person who's been hurting, because they can empathize with that person. Yeah. So, but you getting some fentanyl on the way to the hospital because you fractured your leg (laughs) is not the opioid crisis. And the thing about this pain that you're going to be experiencing is... We need to get under control and we need to stay ahead of it because you don't want to wait until the pain comes back because you're starting over at ground zero. So it's better to get to that therapeutic level and maintain that therapeutic level rather than taking some, waiting until it hurts really bad, and then starting over again. Right, exactly. So one of the final treatments you can get also is just reduced activity. Uh, I fractured my toe. There were... (laughs) Do you know how I fractured my toe? Not really. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Don't get me wrong. Okay, go ahead. So. Uh, <laughs> then we wonder why this episode's so long. So so for first fact, I was wearing pants. Um, I had ordered a, I had ordered a rifle and it had come in at the, uh, at the local shop. And, and I think it was really hard to get is what it was at the time. It's more common. Like now. it was on a high shelf. No, like, well, I mean, it might have been, but um, no, what it was, it was a, uh, it was a bolt action Remington 700 in 300 Winchester Magnum. Sure. At the time, right. Um, at the time, hard to find. You can find them all over the place now, but at the time, Remington had discontinued the model. So pretty much you were looking at like used police surplus. Guy who found one called me up, said, hey, I know you've been looking for this. I got it. You want it? I said, yes. Super happy. I go to run out the door, I'm not wearing any, any shoes or socks, or like so I'm running towards where my shoes and socks are. And because I am occasionally klutzy, my right big toe went inside the cuff of my left pant leg. And when I moved it forward, left pant leg held held firm. So the thing I love about this is that, yes, you are a klutzy human being. Mm-hmm. But you're a klutzy human being in very unique ways. Yeah. I can actually, like, maintain my balance on things like boogie boards and shit at the beach. No, I'm saying, I mean, I was imagining you slipped and rammed your foot into something. No. Or caught, like, a table or something like that. No, you caught your toe in the pant leg of the (laughs) other foot (laughs) to the point that you fractured your toe. Yeah, and so it's... not normal. So there's a lot of pain. And because I just I just basically pulled it apart really bad. And there's a lot of pain. And I'm like, Jesus H. And by the way, I actually didn't fracture tech. Like Mark mentioned earlier, it wasn't my foot that I fractured. It wasn't it was, the bone. It was actually well, it was actually. It oh. actually was a fractured metatarsal. So yeah. Uh how? I mean, I still don't understand the mechanism behind that. Well, so basically, if you were to grab your toe and just pull it as hard as you could laterally. Well, I guess that'd be medially, actually, and pulled it as hard as you could medially. That would be towards the middle as opposed to laterally, which would be like away from the side of your body. Yeah. Um, This bone here is is what I broke. 
The thing about it, though, is that it wasn't like a clean or complete break. It was similar to what they call a green stick fracture, mm-hmm. which normally occurs in the more youthful mm-hmm. of us. Well, actually, at the time, it was in my, actually, I'd be 20 at the time. So, But anyway, but a green stick fracture is if you take a very green stick off of a tree in right. order to fracture it. And it splinters out. Yeah, it kind of splinters. It doesn't completely fracture. There's nothing to do for that. Then he's not going to put a cast on it because there's nothing that's going to keep it still. You just stay off of it. That's it. Stay off of it and ice it. And so there are – and there's also, uh, for example, oftentimes – For like a, six to eight weeks. Yeah. Uh, for example, like a tailbone fracture mm-hmm. as well, uh, which is the – They can't, can't split it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so a lot of times they'll give you a little butt donut mm-hmm. to sit on. So because uh, your so, tailbone, by the way, is your sacrum, which is at the bottom of your pelvis. It's If right. you look where your spine goes, it connects to your pelvis – and then if you go below that. I think most it. people know what their tailbone is. I well, think we fall, fallen, and hit our, hit our tailbone. And it, Don't fracture it. It hurts. Did you break it? No, I've never broken my tailbone. Have you bruised it? Yes, and no, I ha- I've had enough. a butt done it. That's enough. A, 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 br- a bruise is enough. You don't need to. So, so my mom's listening. Oh, God. And she probably knows this story. Because it happened in fifth grade. I slipped in hedgehog pee. This, this is real life, man. This is my life. You can't make this shit up, man. No. Um, I can't. And actually, my doctor even told me, he's like, because I, I came and got stitches once because I was trying to open a candy bag with a steak knife and lopped off my finger. Next time I saw him, I had bruised my tailbone after slipping in hedgehog pee. And he's just like. Did you just have a normal injury? Like, just, like, play sports or something? <laughs> Come in with a sprain, yeah. you know, or a pulled muscle, please. I just really – anyway, let's move on. Anyway, uh, right. So, sometimes nothing at all is basically the prescription, just reduced activity. Right. Our last little section here is going to be – and there's no what the fuck on the beginning of this. No. I'm just going to say you really fell apart right there at the end. Well, it's actually a subcategory, though, under what the fuck can happen to bones. Okay. No, no. So. That's solid. So – uh, the number one is osteoporosis. Uh, this can be caused due to genetic defects where the osteoblasts uh, are either in short supply or unable to form osteons, which I hate, uh, the inability to form those. All right. Okay, so calcium deficiencies can cause osteoporosis because the body will pull calcium from the bone to increase its blood calcium levels, which Chris, Chris talked about earlier. Uh, this is treated with diet, re- uh, diet regulation and medications. Basically, you're going to get told to drink more milk, right? You know, uh, take dietary supplements that include calcium and, um, you know, just try and do that. Yeah. There are medications that also help your body regulate because some people will have a problem where their body takes calcium from the bones unnecessarily. Right. And so there are medications that help regulate that right. as well. And I know, was it, I think in uh, women, they, uh, a lot of it is uh, estrogen. Yep. Or uh, so they give like Fosamax is yeah. a very common. Mm-hmm. There's also several medications that are taken like yearly. Like once a year you get right. a shot of a certain medication. Right. Those kind of deals. And then the last one is going to be osteoarthritis. And uh, this is a calcium deficiency and genetic disorder that can lead to a reduction in the cartilage between the joints. And we talked about this earlier. We talked about hip replacements. Right. Uh, every joint has cartilage in between the bone ends. You just don't want raw bone ends rubbing on each right. other. It's painful. And over time, that'll cause little small fractures and damage to the bone itself. Right. And, so. what, and then what ends up happening is that that area actually gets swollen and you can't completely – your, your, your hands or whichever joint are stiff, but you also can't completely flex them the way you would normally. So it makes it harder to perform functions with those 
Right, like to grip and grab and those right. kind of things makes it painful. And so those are going to be treated with, uh, I mean, there's some medications that actually help the process of cartilage formation as well. But you're going to see a lot of those patients are going to be on anti-inflammatories. And uh, steroids. And basically what those <clears throat> what those things do is those keep the inflammation in the joint down. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, you got anything else? I mean, yeah, but... <laughs> Not that I think anyone wants to stick around and listen to. Oh, yeah. So, so uh, this is Medical Stuff. Uh, I'm Mark. He's Chris. Uh, we're available on Facebook at Medical Stuff, Instagram at Medical Stuff 52, and Twitter at Medside Stuff, M-E-D-S-I-D-E-S-T-U-F-F. If you want to shoot us an email, please do. We're at Medside Stuff at Yahoo.com. Uh, also, you can listen to us on, I mean, you've already found us, obviously, but you can listen to us on iTunes. Google Play, or Google Podcast now. Yeah, well, and we're still on Google Play, but it's quicker to get on Google Podcast. Right. That's one of the things we have noticed Google Plays take a little bit longer to get to. Uh, Stitcher, we're on Podient, uh, we're on... Spotify, we're Spotify. on iHeartRadio. Basically, if you have a podcast catcher you uh, use... Give us a look. Our picture is uh, pretty unique. Yeah. I think it'll stand out. So uh, please uh, spread the word. Yeah. Spread the love. Five-star reviews if you feel that that is something you feel comfortable doing. Or if you don't feel comfortable doing it and you're just willing to do it anyway. We're, yeah. we're pretty cheap and easy here. <laughs> and so uh, thanks for listening. And we will talk to you later. Toast. Toast.